1: We're joined now, as promised, by Heather McDonald. She is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. She's a contributing editor at City Journal and a New York Times bestselling author. Her newest book is a very important one, as are all of her previous books, quite frankly, and it's entitled When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. Heather McDonald, thank you so much for the time. How are you this morning?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on, Bob. I greatly appreciate it.
1: It is our pleasure to have you on. You always, uh, I feel smarter after having talked to you because uh, you have so much knowledge and you do so much great research. Now, the primary agenda, Heather, that I have for this conversation is about violent crime, one of the many subjects of which uh, of which you are an expert, and particularly about what the statistics show about intra and interracial crime, and we'll have plenty to say about that. But let's start with your new book, your newest book, "When Race Trumps Merit." Now. We have been watching, and I talk about this on a regular basis on my program, the evolution of that reality in academia and in corporate America for some time now, admission to universities being decided by appearance rather than by test scores and academic achievement, hiring practices following the same model, uh, diversity and equity above all else, including ability or talent or experience. And this commitment to race over merit, Heather, has been expanded now into even medical schools, Uh, medical school admissions, pilot training, uh, things that now put directly people's lives into the hands of professionals who may or may not be well-qualified enough to handle those responsibilities. Heather, how did we get here?
2: Oh, we get there because the academic skills gap and the criminal offending gap has persisted for decades uh, despite massive efforts of our policymakers to close it. Billions, if not trillions of dollars of transfer payments to try to close it, and we still see uh vast skills gaps. I'll give you a a sense of the scale of those bob and and these are figures that are difficult for Americans to hear uh, you know we we would rather not look at this head on and and blame ourselves for phantom racism for the lack of racial proportionality in medical schools or science labs or law firms but it's too late for that now. We, we're tearing things down at too fast a rate to go, continue with these fictions. Here's, here's some facts. Uh, 66% of black 12th graders do not possess even partial mastery of basic 12th grade math skills, which are defined as being able to do arithmetic or read a graph. Uh, 7% of black 12th graders are proficient In 12th grade math, which is defined as being able to calculate using ratios, and the proportion of black 12th graders who are advanced in math nationally is too small to show up statistically. And so given those academic skills gaps, you can have diversity or you can have meritocracy. You cannot have both. Any institution that is telling you we are putting a priority on merit, on diversity, is telling you that we are going to cancel meritocratic standards. Because if you, if you enforce colorblind, neutral, constitutional, non racist meritocratic standards, you will have a negative disparate impact on Blacks. And we have decided as a culture, that we would rather blame our institutions, we would rather blame colorblind tests for racism than acknowledge the facts that there is a culture in the inner city that is inhibiting black success. So, you know, here's here's the rule. If blacks do more poorly on a test, whether it's the SATs, the medical school admissions tests, the GREs, the law school admissions tests, we say, okay, it's a racist test. We'll lower the standards rather than having black leaders say, okay, we're going to, we're going to meet your standards, but instead they always demand that standards be lowered on their behalf.
1: Well, the, everything you just said is extraordinarily important, obviously, but we'll go back to the root of this because you said it for a moment, um, I very briefly talked about, you know, the culture. They don't let, that's a taboo subject to say that, you know, the black family or black culture less, uh, of an importance is placed on education by parents. Sometimes the parents just aren't there or at least only one parent is there. And that's a taboo subject to, 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 to get into. The easier way to do it is just say, look, um, systemic racism. Schools are systemically racist. The test writers, you know, on these uh, standardized tests are systemically racist. There isn't an opportunity for black families to get their kids in school. All of the different things that we know are responsible for these lower test scores, this 66% that you just mentioned, and only 7% can do 12th grade math. They're blaming they're blaming white society or white supremacist society for this rather than owning what can we do within our own community. And and isn't the the extraordinary success of another minority group, Asians in this country, evidence that it really is how things are done in their communities?
2: It certainly is, Bob. I mean, the differences in family culture are enormous and as long as those differences are so great, it is wildly premature to come up with this phlogiston answer of this, you know, invisible miasma of systemic racism. If the family situations were di- were the same, if 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 black students were spending as much time doing homework as Asians, if they were taking their textbooks home, if they were paying attention to their teacher rather than sitting with their backs to the teacher and their headphones in, all of which behavior I have witnessed, uh, if they were not joining gangs, if parents were making sure that they' do their homework and study for exams rather than running in the streets and 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 joining gangs, and we still saw racial disparities in, in institutions then it's time to go to the phlogiston systemic racism, invisible miasma explanation. But right now, when those differences are so patent, it is ridiculous to go looking for these invisible aspects of racism. I mean, you mentioned the the canard that the standardized colorblind tests are somehow culturally biased. That's been a charge that's been rattling around for decades. Mm-hmm. If it was ever true, which I doubt, It is not true now. There is no more questions about a regatta, you know, being on, (laughs) rowing in a stall at Eton or something. Any exam question on standardized tests that has a particularly large skew between blacks and whites is removed. Uh, There are no cultural presuppositions that are relevant to success on these exams. What these exams measure validly is is uh, academic skill levels. Uh, we are ta- and so it is... Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I just wanted to remind everybody we're talking to Heather McDonald. Her latest book is When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destro- Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. And I apologize for the interruption. just want to... Trickle back to the race, the, uh, racially discriminatory admissions policies that have more highly qualified, highly successful, higher GPAs, higher standardized tests, whites and Asians. Uh, it eliminates them or it, 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 uh, you know, they, they're declined in their admission to some elite schools. And some will say, look, it's the least we can do given the status, given the state of things right now is to allow a few more people of color into these classes we can accept a little bit of racism against the majority a little bit of discrimination against the majority if it if it balances things out just a little bit but heather you have spoken and written extensively on some of the unintended victims of such policies and they are the black students who are given these spots in schools they can't compete in themselves
2: right first of all let's clear up a popular misconception that was never true, but is really not true today. Which is that all racial preferences do is provide a thumb on the scale that you've got two virtually equally qualified candidates for a college. One is black, one is white or Asian, and so we'll give a preference to the black student as just an effort at diversity. That is not the case. the 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 skills gaps, that, as measured by standardized, objective, colorblind, neutral tests are always at least a standard deviation below. So you have, like, for medical schools, uh, blacks in a certain lower than average, uh, uh skill level and GPA level have a nine times greater chance of getting admitted to medical school than Asians and a seven times larger chance of getting admitted to medical school than whites. So these are vast gaps. It's not a little thumb on the scale, but yes, that's jumping up and down on
1: the scale, full body. That's what that, that's what that indicates.
2: It's jumping up and down on the scale and it is jumping down on our most gifted students and saying, we do not want you to succeed. We are going to depress your opportunities to maximize Your innate gifts because we're shutting down gifted and talented programs. We're going to hold you back in math acceleration in the hope that if we defer the teaching of algebra or pre calculus, that black and Hispanic students will catch up. They don't. Meanwhile, uh the most gifted students are cooling their heels they're not being challenged and they're not being accelerated to be able to take on china which is pouring everything it's got at its most talented students not not uh, determining its education policy on the basis of race and gender but yes your question bob is absolutely correct the the biggest victims of racial preferences are the so-called beneficiaries themselves Mm -hmm. because you are putting somebody at a grotesque, cruel disadvantage by admitting him into an academic environment for which he is not competitively qualified. And let's take this out of the charged issue of race and think about it through the lens of sex. If MIT admitted me uh, to its freshman class and I had a 650 on my – math SAT on an 800-point scale, and it was admitting me with lower SATs than my peers in order to have sex parity, whereas all of my non-preferred peers, those who were admitted on the basis of their skills, not on the basis of their sex, were averaging close to 800 on their math SAT. so they were much more advanced in math. I'm going to flounder and struggle enormously In my first year calculus class, because the teaching will be pitched to that of my peers, to the average level of skills, not to me. And I will fall behind. I will likely decide, gee, engineering isn't for me after all. I can't keep up. Whereas had I been admitted to a school where I was at the same level of preparation as my peers, where the average math SAT was 650 and not 800, I would keep up because the the teaching would be pitched to my level, the average level of skills. Well, that's what happens to black students. They are catapulted into academic environments for which they are not competitively qualified. Nobody's saying they should not go to college. They should go to college on the same basis as everybody else, which is among a group of peers that share their level of academic qualifications. What happens to those black students? They fall behind. They drop out of their STEM intended majors and do black studies or anthropology or gender studies. Uh, and you end up with fewer STEM graduates that are, who are black than you would have had had they been admitted to schools where they were on the same academic footing as their peers.
1: Yeah, they drop out of those majors or they drop out of school altogether. Maybe go back exactly. to a community college or something. So in other words, black students are being used. Underqualified black students are being used by the academic universities. Uh, that just want to check their boxes and to make sure that their virtue signaling is is, you know, is on par with others. You know, look at our diversity, our equity and our inclusion. Look at all of the underrepresented groups we have brought in. That's all they care about. They're using these people, um, which is just uh, abhorrent. Um, last question on this before we talk about crime, Heather McDonald. Um What about other marginalized groups with this massive explosion of uh, trans identifying people, most of whom are just attention seekers uh, with a very, very, very small percentage of them actually suffering from actual gender dysphoria? um, Are we going to see quotas or maybe we already are yet for those who push gender identity over merit as well as race over merit?
2: Yes, we're seeing it already. Um, You know, the STEM, the science field, science, technology, engineering, Medicine have been completely overrun by racial quotas. We are lowering standards across the board. The federal government is now giving science research grants for Alzheimer's and cancer research on the basis of race, not on the basis of scientific achievement. This will uh, slow down our scientific progress enormously. And it is now also saying that uh, so-called, you know, non. Cis heteronormative identity should be also the basis of deciding who gets science research labs or who grants or who gets uh, hired in, in engineering departments. Again, there's nothing that is less relevant to the conduct of science uh, than somebody's so called gender identity or race or sex. Science is about the scientific method, it is not about the
1: scientist. It is supposed to be anyway. Heather McDonald is my guest. Her latest book, When Race Trumps Merit, you need to get this. You need to read and study more specifically what we're kind of generalizing about now. Now, let's talk, uh, Heather, about crime. Um, President Biden spoke to the commencement uh, audience at, uh, and you know, the graduates at uh, an HBCU, historically black college university, uh, Howard University, this past Saturday. And standing before an audience of entirely black people, I mean, I believe – I don't know if there were any other any other Caucasians in the audience, but it is an HBCU. But he stood there and told an entire black audience that white supremacy is the greatest threat this nation faces. The audience applauded that. So the unifying president – and I'm not trying to get political here, but we have to address this. The president who said, I'm going to bring this country together after it was split apart by the last administration – stood there before an all-black audience and told them that white people were their greatest threat, their greatest enemies. Nothing quite as unifying as saying that white people are going to hold you down. They are going to be out to get you. They're going to target you. They're going to be a constant obstacle for black Americans. And the story that that president likes to tell is that black parents have to have the talk with their kids about being targeted by police or by white people. And, Heather, you have done incredible work in researching What the statistics tell about that are black people and young black kids uh, more likely to be attacked by white people and or police officers? Or is it maybe another another way around?
2: It's an utter fiction. And, you know, I write about this in the book as well. I've got a vast amount of crime data in in the book uh, and we're unwinding the criminal justice system because it has a disparate impact on black criminals. I was I was just stunned when conservatives bought into this idea that Biden was unifying, that, oh, they they loved his inaugural speech. You know, you had people at the Wall Street Journal, Bill McGurn at the Wall Street Journal saying, oh, this is so unifying. Ben Shapiro mocking the speech for being so unifying. He was bashing whites in the speech and doing his usual theme about white supremacy being the biggest stain on this country's soul that we have not moved behind. Whites are so self canceling at this point that they don't even hear the calumny against them. Here's the reality about interracial violence. When you look at all non-lethal interracial violence between blacks and whites and whites and blacks, blacks commit 87% of it. So it is blacks who are a threat to whites, not whites who are a threat to blacks. Since the George Floyd race riots in the first 18 months after the George Floyd race riots and the the, the left-wing uh, medical establishment says it's after the pandemic. No, the pandemic was not what gave us our huge, huge homicide surge in 2020. It was the depolicing that was created by the calumny against the, the police by Biden and, and the rest of the Democratic media establishment. Uh, black juveniles in, in four representative cities are killed of gun homicide at 100 times the rate of whites. We have heard of none of those black juveniles because they are all killed by blacks. If they had been called killed by whites, every single one of those crimes would have been the leading story in CNN. Blacks are killing each other at astronomically higher rates. And when it comes to interracial violence, uh, the balance is just the opposite of what Biden says.
1: You know, um the media plays such an outsized role in this, and this narrative that, you know, blacks are being hunted, that black parents have to have the talk with their kids and white parents don't and so forth. And you wrote about that in one of your latest articles that I read in the City Journal. Tell us a little bit about the difference in media presentation and also political um Reaction to the cases of Ralph Yarrell in Kansas City and a 20 year old white student, um, who just two days apart suffered almost identical situations, except for one was fatal and the other one wasn't, and the way the media presented those.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so Ralph Yarrell was the 16 year old who went to the wrong house in a residential neighborhood in Kansas City and and knocked on the door, uh, rang the bell, doorbell, according to the. 84 year old man who lived in that house. Jarl also pulled at the outside storm door. Uh, the, the rep, the lawyer for Jarl says that's not true. So this is a, you know, something that's up in dispute. The homeowner, uh, who's lived by himself was terrified. This was at 10 PM. He'd already gone to bed, shot at Jarl through the door, hit him in the head. Uh, fortunately Yarl survived he's been released from the hospital it looks like he will be okay uh, but this was immediately seized upon as what the mayor of Kansas City called the dangers of existing while black that if you exist while black you are going to be blown away by whites uh, and so every every news article about this incident led with with Jarl being black and the homeowner Lester being white, that, that was, you, you didn't get one sentence into the story before you learned those facts. Well, a couple days later, uh, there was a similar incident of somebody going to the wrong house. Uh, and it was a group of young people who had driven up a driveway, uh, and in upstate New York mm-hmm. and the homeowner, came out and and I think they may have also gone to the house and started shooting and in this case killed uh, a girl in the car. Well, we a never passenger. heard a passenger, right. Yeah. We never heard about the race of her because she was white. She was killed by a white person. Uh, and so, therefore, none of the articles mentioned that. Uh, it's only relevant... Here's a clue. Here's here's a, a rule of thumb for criminal press reporting. If the if the race of the criminal is not mentioned, it's because he's black. If, if the race of the criminal is white, it will be mentioned. And the only time that, you know, you are going to hear about interracial violence is if it is. Uh, White on black. The vast majority, as I say, of interracial violence is white on black, black on white, rather. But we will never hear about that.
1: Yeah, I think everybody listening to us right now, we're talking with Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, writing for the City Journal, bestselling author. Her latest book you need to get is uh, When Race Trumps Merit. Everybody knows the name Ralph Yarrow. We all heard that story. Joe Biden invited Ralph Yarrow when he recovered from his gunshot wound to the White House. The 20-year-old girl, not only did we not know she was white because of the media coverage, we don't know her name. I don't know her name as we sit here right now. You probably don't either off the top of your head, but we know the name of Ralph Yarrow because the narrative says we must. And I want to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I apologize uh in advance, but you probably know the race of Jordan Neely, and you know what happened to him, Right. Right. Okay, you know the race of Jordan Neely, and do you know the name at all, uh, Ariana Preston?
2: Uh that is the white girl that was killed, correct? No, in no,
1: no. New York? no, no. That's not the, this. This was the black, twenty-four-year-old black uh, police yes, officer right, right, in right. Chicago who was murdered, yep, and nobody knows her name. No, no, because she was killed by four black thugs in front of her home. But but Jordan Neely was killed by a white Marine named or well, in an incident of restraint in an accidental death. He's being charged with second degree manslaughter by a by a white Marine or ex-Marine or former Marine or Marine veteran named Daniel Penny. Everybody knows Jordan Neely. Nobody knows Ariana Preston. And that is is typical of what we're seeing every day.
2: Well, we're always told to say their names, you know yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody is saying the names of the dozens of black children who are gunned down in their front yards in their backyards in their bedrooms in their parents' cars, jumping on trampolines at birthday parties in public parks yeah. uh because they're shot by other blacks, so you never say their names. the only the press is on the prowl if there is ever an instance of a black being shot by a white or by a police officer. They're just waiting for that. And those instances are so rare compared to the reality of crime. There was another black police officer that I wrote right about in, uh, when race Trump's to merit a Baltimore female who was sitting in her car, who was also shot in the head at point black. And nobody, nobody made a big deal of that. And And let's let's note this recent shooting of the female Chicago officer. The reason that these four kids were on this robbery, this, violent robberies, stealing cars, robbing people at gunpoint, is because the one of the females had said she wanted a barbecue. Now, this is the same city where the newly elected mayor, Brandon Johnson, recently justified the the flash mob rampage of black teenagers down the Magnificent Mile because these children were deprived of opportunities. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the, the, so this fatal... Fatal shooting is because somebody didn't have a barbecue and these flash mobs that recur every year at, at Chicago, everybody went nuts about this one, forgetting that last year there was somebody, a boy who was actually killed uh, in millennial park, millennium park in Chicago during one of these rampages. Uh, The um, they all organized these flash mobs on smartphones so these kids all have smartphones. That is not my definition of deprived of opportunity.
1: That's very well said. A state senator in Illinois, actually, I think his name is Peters, actually said that this was a, you were talking about the Chicago teen takeover. That's what it was a few weeks ago. And you're right. It was planned out on their smartphones. And he actually said that this was a general protest. There wasn't any particular death or situation that happened. but It's a general protest against their poverty and segregation. No. And then, oh. Brandon, and then Brandon Johnson, the uh, new mayor, uh, did indeed say, but he was mayor elect at the time. But he yeah. he literally did say it is not constructive to demonize the youth.
2: Right. Exactly. No, it is constructive. We have to start reasserting that the law abiding should be the focus of policy, not the criminal. Everything now is upside down. It is. Government cares about. The rights of the criminal, the dysfunctional, the antisocial, taxpayers, the people who work are simply viewed as a money spigot for the services and the redistribution of wealth that goes to the criminals. And, and we're just supposed to be silent, take it, you know, get assaulted by, by, by mentally ill vagrants who should never have been allowed to stay on the street in the first place, put up with it, take it. Uh, and if anybody steps up like Penny in, the, the Marine veteran in mm-hmm. New York to try and protect his fellow passengers, uh, he will be demonized. But the, he's there because the government has failed in its primary mission of, of preserving life and property and safety.
1: Mm-hmm. That is exactly right. And Heather, we'll wrap it with this by going back to the statistics just for a moment. So I don't want anybody to come away from this conversation thinking that we're saying that more white people are killed by blacks than whites. That's not the case. Intraracial crime. Some 95 percent of black homicide victims are killed by other blacks and some 85 percent or so of whites who are killed in homicides are killed by whites but when we cross over the 2 and it's either white on black or black on white those are the statistics that matter here and that whites are overwhelmingly targeted and are victims of violent crime by blacks than the other way around and i just i know that's the research you did and that's what you're right about and that's what i want people to take away from this
2: exactly and notice those disparities you know if 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 95% of of blacks are killed by other blacks but 85% of whites are killed by whites. Where's that ten percent disparity coming from? And that's because of the vast disparities in who's committing interracial violence.
1: There it is. Yeah, there it is. And that's uh, that's something Joe Biden will never acknowledge in one of his speeches or one of his stain on the soul of our nation uh, commentaries. Heather McDonald, uh, the latest book, "When Race Trumps Merit." subtitled How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Life, and it certainly does all of those things. Heather, thank you for what you do and thank you for making time for us. We certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you
2: so much, Bob. It's always a great conversation. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. God bless